Dropout Podcasts. Welcome back to Adventuring Academy. My name is Brendan Lee Mulligan, and with me is my special guest, is Miss Erica Ishii. Hello! I'm so happy to be here. Oh my God, we're so happy to have you. Uh, you guys know Erica from the marvelous internet. You can catch her on LA by Night, which is her uh, Vampire, the Ma- Vampire the Masquerade actual stream, actual play stream. Uh, uh, an incredible uh, adventure with you and also B. Dave Walter, who's awesome. Uh, a bunch of other really fun people. Uh, Erica, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to talk about D&D. <laughs> I could talk forever. <laughs> um, yeah, this is awesome. So we were actually talking a little bit before we got into the podcast. Uh, and one thing I wanted to jump into right away, because both of us have been playing D&D for a long time. Ages. Ages. since long aeons past. Um, but since we were kids, and uh, you were bringing up some interesting stuff about the community social aspect of D&D, which I am always really excited to talk about because there is an attitude around D&D, no longer as much in this D&D renaissance we find ourselves in now, uh, but there was when I was a kid about like, oh, like nerds. That's for nerds. That's for nerds. Right, and it's it's so funny to have seen the evolution of Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop role-playing games in general, all geek stuff really, um, just how cool it is it's now. It's really cool now. Yeah. Uh, that's what I tell myself um the it is it's like really popularized and it's very fun and there's like a tremendous acceptance of it and what even got under my skin about it back in the day was always like yes this is quite nerdy we are playing fantastical heroes on a quest we're rolling some dice and there's a lot of arithmetic involved in this we were game. doing math in our spare time Brennan <laughs> is what it came down to right I could see how one might arrive at the conclusion sure, this is a little I nerdy guess. but what always uh, was funny to me about it was this is an inherently social activity you are quite literally inviting friends over to hang out it's a very structured hang but you're socializing. Yeah, it always fascinated it always fascinated me the relationship between interpersonal communication skills and D&D because things that you learn while playing a campaign, you take with you out into the real life in terms of social skills and vice versa, like so many friendships and relationships and just ways of talking to people inform a good what makes a good tabletop role playing game? A uh, totally, and not to sound sort of like uh, corporate HR manager about it, but like <laughs> I've often told because I also work at a live action uh, role playing camp, which uh, is so rad. It's that's fun. so cool. Wayfinder experience. Um, the uh, the camp that I work at, I'll often tell kids because they're sometimes applying for college mm-hmm. at the age they're thinking about doing that or applying for other kind of schools, um, and I will say like. The skills you've learned here are extremely applicable. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think that D&D should be an elective course in schools. No, yeah. I'm, I'm very serious because, um, and actually I have a friend that you know I'm sort of working with and talking about the idea of launching that as a sort of like extracurricular activity um, because uh, like in addition to sort of all of like the math skills that you learn, you can learn zoology, that that's his specialty, zoology, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
history, uh, politics. You learn so many interpersonal skills. Um, and in terms of social skills, like the breakdown, as I've, I've thought a lot about this, Brennan. Um, <laughs> the breakdown comes down to you learn communication, teamwork, improvisation, uh, uh trust and sort of a sense of how to play, which are all very, very vital in interpersonal relationships. Whoa, I actually, this is dorky. I wanna go through those five with you yeah, real quick. Let's That's, do it. Let's get into it. Uh, Cause I think this is awesome. And it, you know, it's a weird thing because I was a house performer at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York. I, you know, did, I was like LARPing at the Wayfinder Experience. I came here to college and to do stuff. And throughout it all, people would say like, oh, you're, you're like this improviser, this thing. And I'd always be like, I'm just using skills I literally got at a table with my friends. Oh, it's absolutely true. I mean, I, I went through the UCB program as well mm -hmm. you know I, I've done theater my whole life and acting my whole life um, but there D&D was always both an outlet and a training ground for all of those skills a hundred percent so the first one so let's go through those five because that's awesome so uh, communication was the first yes one, right? that is the biggest key to any sort of interpersonal relationship um, whether it's a friendship or a romance or with your family and and with a campaign yeah. Because like honestly, if you're going into a dungeon, you need to map out like who's doing what. Uh, you need to you need to just be open and honest about everything this with your is... group. Or play a character that's not open and honest about things and suffer the consequences. But... Well, that's the thing is you will suffer the consequences. Yeah. What I love, I mean, it's a credit to the design of the game, but also just the nature of those like human interactions. And by human, of course, I mean elves and dwarves and et cetera. Yes, yes, um, and yes. Uh, don't be racist. <laughs> don't be racist. Don't I'm be racist. being inclusive here <laughs> to all the gnomes and such. Um, but the, uh, the incredible thing about communication is, uh, and this is fun because we often give a lot of DM tips on this show, but I think this is actually a great opportunity to give player tips. Yeah. I think every single person has watched campaigns and seen PC groups that have all of their abilities at their disposal and know how their characters work plummet and fail in a winnable encounter and seen uh, other parties and groups that should have been toast miraculously succeed literally based on real ass communication skills. Right, it's so true because like if you're both gonna go for the attack, like you gotta figure out how to flank and mm -hmm. um, which also sort of plays into the teamwork aspect of things. But like you can like have as diversified a group, you know, with the all the skills that you need, but if you don't talk about it and decide how it's gonna go down. Right, and that's the thing is, I think that like assumption is the enemy of communication. Right. And there's an element of watching PC groups, I can tell you, like my little DM Spidey sense goes off. If I have a group of PCs walking into a combat encounter and they haven't talked about what they're doing there or why they're going into this fight, the odds of a possible player character death skyrocket. Mm -hmm. When it's just sort of like, oh, we're all kind of hanging out and, and no one's really looking in the same direction. Whoa, a fight's happening. Okay, let's all take our turns. It's, it's really easy to be like, oh, well, I know my character and I have everything down, but not sort of communicate to everybody else that, oh, I have prepared this spell for today there's no need for you to prepare all your healing spells right exactly to not sort of coordinate which is that the second aspect teamwork you're talking yeah. about but also in the communication side of things to even be like simple stuff like okay we're in a fight 
what are we hoping to get out of this mm -hmm. fight? Should we just run away? Is there a goal we're trying to achieve here? This is sort of my, because my background's yeah, in, because yeah. you were saying communications and my background's in philosophy, which is, I think, another aspect <laughs> of like, what are we even doing here? Why, why are we here? Why Lennon? are we here? And you're like, wow, good question. I mean, like, no, why are we in the crypt of the Spider Queen? <laughs> is there treasure here? What did we come to why, do? Why, why? No. Why, why, um, why? And yeah, and also communicating with your DM is yeah. also important to, you know, what you want with the game. And this is also, I mean, a, a lot of these, a lot of those five skills are sort of connected with each other, but to uh, like communicating to each other in a metagaming sort of sense, like I'm not really having a good time. I don't like it when you talk over me, that kind of a thing. A hundred percent. One of my favorite things that a PC ever said to me when I was DMing, a friend of mine, M, they're a player in this long campaign I've been running for a long time. They, uh, it was, we've been doing a long session for a whole weekend and you know, campaigns naturally spotlight different characters at different moments just as stories go along. Like, oh, we're in this character's homeland or this character's defeating one of their rivals. And I think it was like, we were like two days into a full, weekend of playing and M just looked at me and they went um I uh I, I'd like to run this scene if I could cause, just because I haven't made any choices today right. and I went like wow That's great. and I was like what a clear like it didn't feel like an it wasn't like like saying like I'm not having fun it was like oh just like I'd like to be in a situation where I'm making some choices what a clear communication of what that player needed in that moment yeah. and I was getting needs yeah communicating so really needs. really vital uh, yeah. for for relationships and for D and D and for everything in between. Exactly, uh, and so we sort of touched on teamwork, the idea of you know kind of letting everybody have their moment to shine, you know, in sort of the metagaming sense. Mm -hmm. um, also, you know, within the party sense, you know, understanding who feels what needs. Like, you need the rogue to check for traps. You need a healer. The meat shield's got to meet. You know, mm -hmm. yes, so. uh, and uh, communicating that stuff like in character and out of character. Yes, and having that teamwork element of I think it's another fun thing just to touch on lightly in terms of teamwork is that people sometimes have a shared goal and also different goals. Like that's perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah, it's perfectly fine, and that's part of teamwork as well. Like I remember playing a barbarian that I had like totally optimized just to be a tank, just to be, not even do a lot of damage, just to just soak up hits. And I remember saying to my fellow teammates at one point so, sort of in character but mostly out of character like look let me be clear i'm here to get my ass kicked <laughs> please make this happen for me <laughs> and a lot of times okay there's a lot of times that it's a decision you have to make as a pc do i like do the thing in characters like oh it's what my character would do or are you not gonna be a jerk right. at the table and Every time you really should, you really should pick not being a jerk at the yeah. table, um, even if it like means like bending a character choice and rationalizing it later. Yeah. Um, I play, I have played a lot of rogues, and of course, you know, there's always sort of like the, those ulterior motives and the you need, you know, you want to get yours for the for the treasure, but at the same time, you got to decide like don't don't be a jerk. It's just not conducive to play um, unless, unless it's going to be a fun story beat that you sort of work out with people. Yeah. Then it's just kind of being a jerk at the table. Um, <laughs> That's, I think, an excellent point. And I think also on top of that, it like what you're saying about like rationalizing it just from the like human psychological perspective, I take umbrage as a writer with people when they're like, that's what my character would that's do. That's what my character would do. And you, you want to go like, people are not fixed 
points in mm-hmm. the sky. There, you are a person is not the North Star. You people do things within a spectrum of what their character would do all the time. And your character can, in critical moments, find something that is still true to themselves that errs on the side of being more agreeable at the table. Yeah, I uh, those alignments are. It's funny because you can always find a way to rationalize all of the points of the alignment chart and still keep it within your character. A hundred percent. Even if you're playing a truly unscrupulous character, I play, I've played lawful evil characters that were working alongside good characters mm-hmm. and it was literally like, we all serve each other's purposes right now. And then I play chaotic evil characters that are just like, I like you. Yeah, that's <laughs> and fun. And you're like, yeah, that's a fine rationalization mm-hmm. for why you're being a team player for this game that requires that for the play to progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to touch on the other uh, topics you covered. So there's communication, teamwork. Trust. Trust. Trust is a really, really important one. And for any actual play podcast that you see where it seems like everybody's got this really great chemistry, everybody's gelling, um, there's an incredible level of trust there. Uh, Just like with any sort of friendship or romance, like you have to have trust in order to kind of keep things moving so that, you know, you can know when to rely on somebody. And sometimes, um, I guess also one interesting thing that I always do like to talk about for D&D and -hmm. tabletop games is consent. Um, And that kind of rolls into this one in that in every game that I've played, in every good game that I've played, um, there's the talk beforehand of what's off limits, um, what, you know, like whether where whether it's topics of discussion or in some cases like physical, uh, just like what are you comfortable with? You know what what is and and that way when you know your limits, you can sort of push. You know you can push and go to the extremes and know what's safe for you and for other people. And yeah. having those boundaries and then being able to work within them and like trusting your people leads to so many amazing moments. I think that's so, so important. It's, and that's some of the best advice I've ever gotten about running these games as well. When we did LARPing stuff uh, back at Wayfinder, we would have a, uh, uh, we had a thing called reality check, which was also used for like if somebody fell and broke mm-hmm. their leg or something because we were sort of outdoor physical mm-hmm. LARPers. And but also was used for for like discomfort emotionally. If you're sure. like this scene's too intense for me for whatever reason, there would be like a reality check. We all break character. We attend to this need. When it's handled, we do fantasy check and we're back in the game. Right. Right. Um, so I've been in groups where there've been like sort of safe words, and I hear some groups do a thing with a card. So mm-hmm. everybody has a card on the table, and that if at any point you're like sort of uncomfortable with the thing, you want out, you just flip the card, yeah. and the DM knows to stop or sort of check in. Yeah. And everything because. Yeah, we're all playing make believe, and you know you you get to do wild and crazy things. Um, but at the end of the day, you want everybody to have a good time, right? And I think that there's something that can be really important about that, especially for like I don't know. I was I've been thinking about this a lot recently in terms of games with because it can feel I think some especially younger DMs or people that are a little bit. Um, not as well versed in like what can be uncomfortable for your players to go through, especially right. if you're DMing. Yeah. Because you're like, hey, we're all murdering each other. We're all chopping up orcs and stuff. Sure. Sure. Isn't that... Might as well throw in a child death or something. Yeah. Ex- some people might not be comfortable with yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So it's important to remember that like certain things are going to, you know affect people in different ways, and you might not share those same triggers, but also you didn't run this game for people to have a bad time, right? So like, why not accommodate the people and make sure that everyone's enjoying what you're doing? And it's never really a sort of a disrespect 
expect or it's it's like you know it, it's never anything personal you know if, if you're like well that's just not for me, everybody just has different thresholds. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, I love that. So trust is huge. And I think that also exists just in terms of the dynamics of the game between the DM and the players. Yes, that's an especially yeah, large one. That's one where everybody sort of has to have that talk beforehand. And yeah, and you see the people that have been in campaigns for a long time and that trust has built up and they're able to just go and ping pong off each other and the banter is quick and witty and yeah. they, because they understand each other. Yeah, 100%. There are like, uh, you know, it's, it, because as a dungeon master, you could just plop a red dragon down onto a group of first level characters. There's nothing in the rules saying you can't yeah, sure. do that fundamentally D&D is a trust exercise. I know that there's some people that are like, it's a game, it's not improv. And you're like, dude, that's factually inaccurate. Yeah. It, there's nothing in the rules that says I can't TPK my players every time. What's stopping me from doing that? The fact that they wouldn't like it and they wouldn't trust me anymore to run a fun game. That's true. So there's, you know. I mean, it is, especially, that is especially true for the DM because in some ways you are trying to kill the players, but you always have to be able to like pull back just enough so that they have a good time. Yeah, you have to do this weird thing of being like, you guys, I... I have the potential to kill your beloved characters. You guys have to trust that if that happened, it would only be because of an event that involved all of our decision making, including the dice. Right. And that it was something that we arrived at sadly, and maybe with no one pushing for it, but was arrived at in unison and was an act of storytelling. Yeah. Uh, and that, like, that's a trip. That's a lot of trust. Oh yeah. Uh, wait, wait, and then the last. And that uh, rolls into improvisation. Whoa. Oh my gosh! Wow. We apologize, Alphonse. That's okay. Or... Alphonse is our resident ghost here at Adventuring Academy, and occasionally when he agrees, he'll throw some of the shackles on the wall. Um, <laughs> That's spooky. <man. laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> I'm sorry. He can't help it, and it's hard to tell, but he is sorry. Um, it's, <laughs> it's extremely haunted. Um, um, uh, but. <laughs> But improvisation. Yes. Improvisation. Uh, yeah, I mean, this game is really about rolling with the punches because, and I'm sure you know, because I haven't really DM'd for Dungeons & Dragons. I've GM'd for other systems before. Awesome. Um, but whether you're a DM or a player, uh, you have these rules, but within the confines of those rules, uh, you are free to do whatever you want. And to be able to, I know we're both UCB people, so mm. um, one of the principles of UCB is yes ending. Yeah. So if somebody says a thing, you have to say yes and, and then build upon that premise, as opposed to being like, no. Yeah. And that's what D and D like. That's what make D makes D and D fun is that you both all both agree on a premise. Mm -hmm. You or you, your whole group agrees on a premise, and then you build on it together. It it's really wild. There's if you want to get real trippy about it. There's like a lot of weird. <laughs> I, do. I do. I do. I do want that. Uh, there's a lot of weird contact improv stuff mm -hmm. in terms of like, um, like. You're consenting, but then you're putting up resistance and conflict to each other, which has been consented to and yes. is performative mm -hmm. and uh, mutually respectful. It's this weird thing that's honestly straight from when you're like 
you know, like playing when I was like playing with my little cousins when I was like a teenager right. and being like, I'm going to get you. Yeah. And, and you have to know. And he's like, oh, no, you're going to get me. Yeah. Like, you agree to that. We that's all that's we, we all agreed that, you know, we are here to get hurt today. Yes. We all agreed that yeah. this guy is going to throw <laughs> monsters and kobolds and bugbears at us and we might die. But that there's mutual respect and understanding and everyone's trying to tell a cool story. Together. Yeah. And so, I mean, you have to have built up the trust and communication and the teamwork in order to be free to improvise hundred in that way. And just learning to sort of take what comes at you, whether it's monsters or some sort of character drama or, um, you know, and just letting your imagina imagination go free. It's such a vital skill, both in D&D &D and in life. I have to say that learning improv, you know, through UCB, through, um, just the crucible of hosting yeah. through all of the tabletop playing that I've done my whole life has helped me um, be a better listener and a better conversationalist. I oh, think. a million percent. I remember one time when I was first starting to, it was like in improv training and uh, a family member of mine was like, you're doing improv. You must be great at like coming up, coming with, up with jokes, coming up with jokes. And I was like, no, I've gotten way more Honest and empathetic. <laughs> oh my god! I, you know I love what I mean? that so much, Brendan. <laughs> you have no idea. That's one I should. I mean, empathy is a thing that sort of underlies all of these points, yeah. I guess, too. But yeah, that's right. a really good point. Well, I think that to me, that's the high I'm chasing when I'm playing D and D is empathy. Is like, what if I was somebody totally different? What would that feel like? Which is, that's what role playing is. It, wh whether I'm playing a character that is somewhat more similar to me or a character who's wildly different, every time I make a character to play, the thing that's motivating me is like, what if I was like that? Yeah. And you have to get into somebody's head. It's like with acting, you have to get into a character's head and understand how they feel. And in that process, you gain empathy. Yeah, 100%. The, the last couple of PCs I've played in the game as I was lucky enough to play in, um, I, I played. I had this one character that was like a temple dancer monk cleric who was like very high wisdom and just like number one chill boy. Of like, uh, and he was like a big half work. So he was like, he was like, there's peace everywhere. Just like very nice. chill and nice, very different from me. Right. And it was really fun to get into that character. But then also like that character discovering like injustice and evil in the world struggled with how to react non angrily to it. And like, that was hard. Like, what do you do when you see bad things happening? And that was, and then this other character is like a total opposite of that. I play this like socialist paladin who's like an ex thief. Oh my gosh. And he was like, uh, he was like a member of a thieves guild, got clocked in the head in a robbery gone wrong, almost died and was revivified by priests and decided to turn his life around and become a paladin. And, but his whole deal is he's oath of redemption and is like, whenever he fights bad guys, he like, before combat starts, he's like, listen, I've been where you've been. I know what you're going through. You don't have to do this, all right? We don't got to do this right now. And it's, I love his, like, <laughs> Yeah, he's a real paisan. He's very uh, Benvolio. Um, uh, yeah, so it's like, but in each of those things, like the empathy is the point mm -hmm. of, like, I want to try to be somebody who's, I want to occupy a different perspective. Yeah, it's it's been interesting playing a range of characters, you know, sort of on the moral alignment scale and doing things that you wouldn't normally do. It's sort of a 
it's sort of a, a trial grounds and you know a sense of catharsis and and play mm-hmm. uh it's it's very interesting to sort of improvise to to get so into a character's head that you would know what they'd do in any situation. Yeah, it's wild, and I think especially when you go towards the other end of the spectrum where it gets really different from yeah. you. Um, you know, I've played characters that were lawful evil, and just it's been an interesting psychological exercise of like, oh, this is what it would be like to fully engage every negative impulse you have about yeah. other people. Like, evil is not foreign, you know? Sure, like, and it helps you see the world in colors other than black and white because. You know, you're like, I really don't understand how this person could be a racist, but suddenly you're playing an elf that doesn't like dwarves or something, and, and you go, you're like, oh, okay, they can rationalize it in their head, and it's just how they were brought up. Yeah. Everything, I, and this is the best way to sort of bring them out of their shells, to be in a party that's diverse and interesting and is patient with them. Yeah, and I think it's important, because to me, I think that that stuff of like playing, I, I think that trying to see the world from evil quote unquote mm-hmm. perspectives um, is only harmful if it's being used to apologize for and defend sure, those people sure. but that there is something actually very valuable because I think the flip side when you go like no like evil people are evil they're monsters end of discussion sure. is actually really toxic and dangerous because you're like no no this is human and we need to understand that like getting to this really bad place is actually surprisingly easy and it happens all the time and it doesn't it doesn't take a monster it's people doing right. this right like we don't need to apologize for them and we don't need to we can actively oppose them politically and with every piece of power we have in real life but let's be honest it's very human to be a nasty piece of work and that sort of brings us into the last point which is a sense of play yeah it's really important to sort of at the end of the day understand that yeah we're we're here having fun and mm-hmm. and sort of be willing to be silly and ridiculous and go to these different extremes and and explore like exploration yeah. is exploration of play is is so important both at the table and in your real life oh 100% um and that's what's so fun too about D&D is it's like as adults setting aside this time to come and just play yeah. hard for a, a period of time. Um, there's great, I think it was like David Graeber or somebody said this thing that was like, there was like a scientific definition of play and it was something like uh, the exuberant exploration of one's own abilities within the world. Oh. And I really love that. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, that's what play is. It's like, for me, because I both love the role play and I love the crunch, and I love them both equally. Oh, that's so interesting. I yeah. love the role play and I love the rules because to me, it's all one and the same. The role play is like, what's it like to be this new person? What's it like to feel a little bit differently than I normally feel? And then with the crunch, it's all like, like I want to play a wizard. Can I play a wizard who's really good at magic? How good at magic can I be? That's so interesting. Uh, I'm on the side of the spectrum where I'm like pure RP. Sure. I will use the rules as it's actually the rules are a great touchstone and a way of grounding it. If you if you can like if I can imagine like looking at a, a breakdown of all my ability scores, you know, I'd be like, oh, I know exactly who I am. So if you like 
as an actor, that's sort of rare to get exactly who this person is down to like <laughs> numerically. a numerical <laughs> number of how intelligent they are. So that is that is like kind of a rare treat for an actor, right? Oh god. Uh, but so I will use that as grounding, and then you know, and like you get backstory, and you get you get everything down on paper. But then, like for me, it's like I am very intense. Yeah. Very intense about role play, Brennan. <laughs> um, I think. I think it was, yeah, that was the, the surprise for everybody because uh, prior to, I think it was Sagas of Sundry, I had not like done any sort of acting or role play mm -hmm. uh, on the internet. Yeah. Like on the internet, you know, people yes. hadn't seen me do that. They thought I was just me, kind of bubbly and everything. And then I'm like, no, I am here for keeps. Like, like we are gonna do this and we will not break character. Like it's gonna be intense. Hell That yes. is the way I role play. That so. You know, I'm I'm one of those people, I guess. Oh, hell yeah. Um, but yeah, I love how there's something in this game for everybody. Yeah, and I think too that for me, it there is a wonderful marriage of the two because ideally, every time you're interacting with the rules, you're interacting with them in service of an emotional beat within the story that is significant and matters. Yeah. Um, and that's really special. Um, I wanted to talk with you also about, because we talked about that playfulness and that time as adults coming together and playing make-believe. Uh, something you and I share in common is how much this game has created community yeah. on a real level in our lives. Yeah. Um, all of my dearest loved ones um, and my relationship uh, just sort of all of my friendships as an adult now are because of Dungeons and Dragons. Hell yeah. Tabletop role playing games. Yeah. When I think about it, yeah, when I when I think about it, the people that are nearest and dearest to me and you know, even even my relationships are are all because of D D. We either met through D D or through that community or that's something we share. That's what they do for a living. Yeah. Um it's it's so wild, Brennan, because I remember a time when, you know, and we were we were talking about this just before we went live, is yeah. that I I've been doing this since I was sophomore in high school, mm -hmm. but like I, it was just my friend and I who who like gave me uh, PHB three, mm -hmm. and uh, we would make characters together because we didn't have a DM. Yeah, uh, we couldn't find a DM. I and like it was so hard to find other people who liked D and D. And in college, you know, I I made my friends through D and D as well. Like the kids at the transfer dorms at UCLA. Like one of them saw my I had at the time like a D twenty necklace. It was like a little yeah. a little blue D twenty in a cage. Mm -hmm. And he was like, Oh, you play D and D? Uh, and we started a group and we'd play in the common room every week. And I, but like, you know, when he phased out of that, we were like, where are we gonna find a DM? Like we were considering like putting up ads and stuff. And and now, now seeing it, like there are, I just, everybody I know, DMs. <laughs> and, and there are more games that I could possibly ever join. Like I don't even have time to play like with my friends anymore. Cause yeah. we're all doing it professionally. Yeah, the struggle's real. Like wild. And you know, the other day we went to like a live performance of D&D &D where our friends were, treated like rock stars and it was insane yeah it's it's so amazing to me that it has this acceptance you know and that this thing that i truly like this way of telling stories and this way of connecting with other people can find this popularity now we 
really there's a great writing manual that talked about how the thing that makes people love a character more than anything else is not to see them excel but to see their vulnerability and i think there's something about the act of playing together where even if you're being very exuberant and wild like you know vulnerability is not the same thing as fear but you're being vulnerable because you're being yourself there's no, there's no like, guard up it's that it's that willingness to be silly and and to sort of believe a thing to to collectively hallucinate together <laughs> if you will i love that i yeah. pitch like i want you to come over to my apartment on thursday night and we're gonna trip balls together <laughs> Uh, together as a team without the, without the use of drugs yeah. with some books and dice. Yeah, uh, um, it's really accurate. That's a, a an eerily accurate description of D and D. It's, it's so wild to me that I mean that we can all do this that it, and that it's so like socially acceptable. I was in Target the other day and there was a women's shirt that had Dungeons and Dragons on it. Fuck yeah. I that blew my mind. Hell yeah! And, and it's it's coming to vogue so much. Um, I think because it's uh, you know a, a lot of on the on the internet has has popularized has shown yeah what its value in terms of you know sort of performance and you know a socializing a way of socializing a million percent and the and i think too it's the popularity of streams and the idea that these games are accessible with yeah. people that are showing you how like how the game can be used for me it's so funny because i feel like i had never seen the type of dnd i enjoyed represented in media until big streams like Critical Role and other stuff came out. Because in, you know, things like in sitcoms, when it's d d it's a bunch of people being like, and right. like, that see, it always was depicted as being like mirthless and weird. And I was like, that's not what it's like D &D a numbers game. Yeah, sure, like, that's sure. not what D&D &D is. That, or at least that's not how I've been playing it for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And then watching a bunch of streams come out and be like, no, this is joyful and exuberant and fun. Was like yes, that's what I've been saying. Um, and then on top of that, I also have to give credit where credits due, which is that the, this is a real wonky point to make, but the design of D and D in Fifth Edition with the whole crew, you know, Mike Merle and Jeremy Crawford and all those those awesome designers, uh, is I think finally D and D realizing its strength. And mm -hmm. it's funny because there are some people that go like that that are, you know when they're talking about like oh is D and D a dungeon crawl game or is it a role-playing theatrical game and in 5e they made the conscious choice to lean into the role-playing side of things and i would say to the number crunchers and optimizers and munchkins out there of which i joyfully include sure, myself yeah. but what i would say is if you're an optimizer look at dnd how would you optimize this game if you're into number crunching, there are war games and other things that have a number crunchy element to them, which is actually like more what the game is about. The thing that sets D&D &D apart and therefore the strength, the only strength it has to lean into is that it's a shared story with friends that's different at every single table. And fifth edition, I think, did an amazing job in the redesign of being like, yeah, we're gonna lean into that. This is a game that's it's different. It's true. Um, I, I've been playing since three, and I have to say around four, I played a lot of four. I played a lot of four in college, um, but it was like very optimized for, yeah, sort of crunchy numbers, combat heavy. Um, they were leaning a lot into the popularity of, I think, MMOs at the time, right. uh, which is fine. Uh, it, like you can always, that's the thing is that it's always been about like, however it is, the game is what you make it. And right. so like you couldn't always homebrew things or lean into the parts of, 
of the game that you want to play. But yeah, I seeing the redesign for D and D Next, which became fifth, yeah, um, was fascinating because it was more of the D&D that I wanted to play. Yes, 100%. And it is that idea of like square peg in a round hole when you're like, because I know in four the decision was made to make it more like an MMO. Mm-hmm. And you're like, that's cool, but we'll never be as MMO as an MMO. Right, because they have like, things keeping track of all the numbers for you. Yeah, there's uh, programming and all this other stuff going on that's going to handle that. Mm-hmm. So so why try to be, it's, it feels, fifth edition feels like, this is a it's weird like be analogy. yourself, man. Yeah, it feels like the end of Nightmare Before Christmas when he's like, I am the pumpkin king. Yeah. <laughs> you go like. It's true. Yeah, it's that's... true. You go through a little bit of an identity crisis and you try to try to be Santa Claus, but then at the end, you become D&D fifth edition <laughs> and like you lean into <laughs> what you're good at. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, fuck yeah. Let's do some questions. Awesome. Um, uh, this one comes from Taylorius. Thank you, Taylorius. And again, if you want to submit questions, uh, you got to sign up for dropout.tv and head over to our Discord where we harvest all our awesome questions for the podcast. Uh, question number one from Taylorius. How do you convince your friends to play less common tabletop RPGs with you? I like D&D, but I want to try Overlight and other cool setting systems. What is your experience with these? Well, L.A. by Night. Right, L.A. by Night is Vampire the Masquerade, and I was part of a show, uh, Foreververse, on Geek and Sundry, where we had a different system every two weeks. And so, yeah, yeah, and so it was, that's the thing, is that a lot of you, like, you look at D&D, and it's, a whole book, it's a whole bunch of books. Um, And it's a lot of investment to learn. Um, And some people will look at that and say, well, like, I don't wanna learn a whole system, but there are a lot of really, really great systems that are literally a sheet. (laughs) Yeah, so Honey Heist or Crash Pandas, um, The Witch is Dead, uh, Roll for Shoes. um, Hear a lot about uh, Fate as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are are a lot of like single sheet RPGs to sort of dabble in. I love, um, I've GM'd a lot for Weave, which Mm -hmm. is an app, actually. So you buy it as a set, and it comes with dice and sort of like tarot, major arcana, and an app. And it sort of does all of that for you and like provides you with sort of this template that's like really easy to get started with. Um, There are so many systems that are just really easy to start. And it's, I I really, really highly recommend starting you know, just exploring those worlds because, uh, yeah, D&D, you never forget your first, and, and D&D was my first, and mm. but there are so many other systems out there that I would really, really recommend and that are fun to explore. Um, it's, yeah, like, definitely go out there because you, you can find a system that's right for you. As you said, if you're a numbers cruncher, you know, you're gonna want uh, one of those tabletop tactic games like a, mm-hmm. you know, like a War Machine yeah, or something, Warhammer. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want something that's sort of like RP heavy, like I really, really love Vampire the Masquerade in that you don't have to count numbers. Yeah. Um, it's like very, very RP heavy. Really intuitive. Only one type of die is Yeah, used there's one type of die and mm-hmm. there's like symbols on it and you sort of count up the symbols, but it's like super. And and then there's like the cipher system, which is more based on adjectives about your character as opposed to ability scores. Yeah. Um, so if you want to sort of get your friends into those, like I would say like print out one of those one sheet uh, systems and sort of get started on that and then be like maybe Overlight because uh, Overlight is a beautiful uh, 
beautiful system. You know, that yeah. has a book with some study required. But yeah, like like start them out easy. I think sure. that's great advice. And I definitely I played the White Wolf stuff. I played Vampire. I loved Mage the Ascension and mm -hmm. uh, Werewolf. Also because the campaign settings for them are just really rich and interesting. Yeah, World uh, of Dark I love the World of Darkness system. It's so easy. I learned it in a week. Le le less than a week. Yeah, it's incredibly easy and it's very fun. Um, love playing, you know, and it's just like it has the right feeling for what it is. Like the game, the 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 aspect of it that is game design and mechanical combat in Vampire and Werewolf and World Darkness feels more lethal than in D and D, where you have super heroic adventurers at yeah. higher levels. Yeah, um, it's interesting because. I really love other systems, but I've stuck by D&D for a long time. And I think a lot of people face this because I think some, sometimes I'll like wade into gamer mm -hmm. Twitter and people, you'll see yeah. some people be like, like, why does everything always got to be about D&D? What about these other systems? And I can only speak for myself because I have a lot of loyalty to D&D. It's not from any disdain for these other games. It's sort of like... I have this sword and I've spent 20 years learning how to wield yeah. this sword and I know how to wield the sword so well that I will use the sword for tasks that are not even sword related. So if I need to open a can of beans, sure, chop sword. with the sword, yeah. and people will go like, don't you want to use a can opener? And you're so like, no, I spent a lot of time on this sword. <laughs> no, it's true. Like you're the most familiar with it. You've spent all this time, as I said, like you've studied these tomes, you've been with it the longest, like you know, it's in your bones. So exactly. I, I can totally understand that. Um, uh, but that being said, these other systems are really, really fun. And I recommend going to check them out i think it's one of those things if you have a table you have a group of friends that you have a weekly game and you're playing um one of the things you should measure i think is um uh look at looking at the other system you want to play and saying like uh is there's almost like a risk reward or a cost benefit analysis mm -hmm. you're doing uh because the cost is getting everybody to getting learn new right. rules right uh which can be it can be a low cost if the rules are simple which is which is why i say like start it out easy and stuff and then they can see that there are other systems that they might enjoy just as much or more than yeah. D and d uh and then like then maybe move on to other more complicated systems exactly and i think too like you can look to and i think this this can take a little bit of of like expertise or or a deeper kind of knowledge to guess or estimate about your own game especially if you're a dm mm -hmm. but looking at it and going like i know a sword is not for chopping a can of beans open but what's the best tool what's the best tool for, for this that. like you know with fantasy high the first season of dimension 20 it was like oh the rules of D D don't suffer that much if you set it in a high school you can just do that it's nothing you yeah, can't like absolutely like the rules all stay the same but i was looking at trying to run um, something a little bit more like Cthulhu-esque, like eld elder horrors kind of thing. Yeah. And I was looking at D&D &D and actually kind of came to the conclusion of like, you know what? These rules actually don't really support that type of play. Right. Uh, I mean, there's Trail of Cthulhu. Yeah, Except exactly. for that kind of thing. Like, if you, yeah, there's a, there's a type of system for everything that you want. And I would recommend uh, talking to people at your local gaming store or on, on the boards. A lot of times people are really happy to push yeah. this system <laughs> Sorry. Uh, to push this system that they like for a particular need. Hell yeah. We are pro LGS here on the podcast. Go support your local gaming store. Um, hell, speaking of, of uh, your local gaming store and gaming mm -hmm. culture and stuff like that, mm -hmm. we'll move on to this next question here. This is from Browncoat B. Thanks, Browncoat B. 
Uh, how do you handle toxic gaming culture? One of the reasons I've decided to, uh, decided to start DMing is I live in a smallish town in the South. Our culture is still years behind, and this D&D revival hasn't really hit us. Our game shops have a really toxic culture and tend to push away anyone who isn't a straight white guy. For reference, I am a woman, so I already have some trouble to get them to take me seriously. Bummer, and I'm sorry that's happening. Yeah, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, I just feel very fortunate in that growing up, my D&D groups were always split, if not more female heavy, um, just because I sort of created my own. Yeah. Um, and that's what you have to do at the end, is you start your own. Um, you said you're becoming a DM, and that's wonderful. That That's kind of the way to do it. I wasn't a DM, and so I kind of had to rely on my friends and be like, hey, you know, I'd like to bring in my friends to this group, is that cool? Um, but since you're a DM, you can invite whoever you want, which yeah. is great. Uh, and then also uh, online. Online is a good way to do it, either through, like, I mean, meetup groups, sort of websites are, are can be hit and miss and stuff, but you could consider at least starting out using Roll20 or Skype um, to do online groups or, um, you know, find your friends and convert them. Yeah. Uh, you know, you we ha sort of have to carve out uh, a space for ourselves. And I feel very fortunate in that I've had a lot of support in this and in our community, you know, both online and here in Los Angeles, um, it's very inclusive and, you know, very, uh, welcoming and so you know I'm, I'm fortunate that I haven't had to deal with that but like in the past like it, it has been tougher and so you just have to sort of push on your own and I'm sorry to have to tell you to do more emotional labor that way honestly but but like I can guarantee you that you will find people um, that will love it that yeah. will be supportive of you and that sort of inclusiveness. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I think also whenever you're giving like this type of advice, there always is that little asterisk at the end of like, because when someone says like, how do you handle toxic gaming culture? There is always that balance and scales of like, well, if you want to do emotional labor and extra work. Yeah, and it's hard. It's it's like an unfair thing to ask of somebody. It yeah. is, but, but you know, that's, you know, it's been a long buildup because like we remember the days where, you know, it was just, hard to play you know and it's unfortunate now that we were saying before this it's yeah. like for all the gatekeepers out there like don't you remember the bad times it, it sets my fucking head on fire i was the kid i literally was put like, in a trash can yeah. when, I, when i was bullied in school don't you remember badly. other kids like slapping your the books, the out, books of your out of your fucking hands and to be don't be that kid to be here in the year fucking 2019 and have people be like Oh, these fake D and D fans, and I'm like, why are you driving the people away? Do you remember the bad times? I know this is good. I would have killed for this. Yeah, back in the day, no kidding. Kill for it. Um, and but it is, it is really hard to think about that. Uh, uh, and by the way, this is not limited to gaming culture. Toxic cultures that reinforce yeah. patriarchy and heteronormativity and everything are are like all over in every niche and industry and hobby mm -hmm. all over the world. And the answer largely remains the same of if you have the bandwidth and you have the space in your life to challenge that system, there are going to be people that are grateful to you. Yeah, I, I have to say it has been one of the wildest and most wonderful experiences of my life to see um, to see it be the safe haven for marginalized groups yeah. um i you know i sort of talked about how it's sort of the testing grounds and the trial grounds for things you might not be able to explore in your real life um yeah. 
it's been a great place for um, kids that are you know LGBTQ or uh, genderqueer uh, to sort of to have these characters that live in this world where that's not an issue. Yeah. Um, and and I can say personally, like my D and D characters started dating girls before I did. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's a good place to explore and and to be accepted, and you can find those other people like our community, like my Twitter community. Bless them is is just the kindest, most positive, sweet people, and they, a lot of them are you know from marginalized groups or or are kids that didn't feel accepted growing up, and now they found this place. So. Online, like online, yeah. you will find your people. I promise you. You will find them, and I, that's so beautiful. And like, even as when I was a kid, I was a weird little homeschooler growing up in a little. <laughs> Did you? We, yeah, I was a little homeschooler in the woods, and you know, I grew up part of the time in New York City, part of the time in a little woods upstate, mm -hmm. and we had our little hippie homeschooler group with like, even as a little like eleven year old boy, my we had gender parity in my home group. And but I remember a couple of years ago watching this explosion online of the embrace of fifth edition by the yeah, LGBT yeah. community. Yeah. And there was a moment of me being like, whoa, well, that's not. And then immediately I was like, why are you surprised? A game of heroic fantasy where our differences all come and together to make us huge huge props to Wizards of the Coast for leaning into that. Yeah. Of uh, saying specifically, you know, like your character might not identify as male or female and like, you know, using using pronouns that are mixed or, yeah. you know, just like completely, you know, there's like a trans uh, uh, Magic the Gathering yeah. uh, planeswalker. You know, it's just for them to understand that this is a safe place for everybody is really huge and and I thank them yeah. for helping to foster that community. I 100% agree. Uh, and that thank you for that question Brown Coat B. Mm -hmm. And also if you're listening to this and you are uh, I'll say that the other flip side of this advice is if you're listening to this and you are someone who's not marginalized uh, uh, and 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 doesn't or this is like new information mm -hmm. uh, you have stuff to do as well. Like, make sure that your home game is like inclusive, and that you are not either in certainly not intentionally, but also not unintentionally making your table unwelcoming. And make sure that if there are people in your local gaming store or at your local game night, that they are being invited, included. Yeah, it's true. Um, and again, you know, it's a, I, that what I say is like it's a lot of emotional labor for somebody who already has to struggle with that on a daily basis. But like, if you don't have to, like, you can just lend an extra hand and everything and make sure to welcome people who might have, you know, traditionally had a hard time of it. And it's just, I can't tell you like how, how huge it's been for me to have people, you know, who are sort of like cooler or, you know, more accepted or never had to deal with that growing up, like being like going out of their way to, you know, sort of cast diversely or, um, you know, welcome other people to the table or, present diversity in characters. Yeah, I think it is I think it is a moral necessity on the behalf of people because for someone to stand up for themselves and challenge systems from that position is one scrillion times harder than of yeah. that's a real number yeah. is a scrillion times harder than someone who has that privilege uh, taking it upon themselves without being asked to just make it more welcoming yeah. on their own behalf. And and I see that a lot in the community as well. So I thank everybody for that. Um, this one's from Rain Solo. Rain Solo. Um, 
I'd love to hear about your favorite character you've played. What was the moment that connected you to that character? Thanks, Rain Solo. Oh man. Um you know, I always I always feel like my favorite character is the one that I am currently playing. You, you know, because yeah. like you're the most you're the most in their head at that moment. And there are just so many characters that I loved and I feel like Selena from uh Sagas of Sundry Mad Madness, which was a game of dread, like has such a special place in my heart because she was the most intense that I'd played up to that point and sort of like was a proving grounds. And I was in such a, like a crazy, like a creative, like crucible for that one. Mm -hmm. um, I love Annabelle from LA by Night. She's oh. just like, and I've gotten to do things in that game that I have never ever gotten to do at a table before. <laughs> it's been real good. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, but I think the one character that just always, I always come back to was one that I played in college. And then I think I brought her, I brought her to a later game post-college, uh, Lowly Lightfoot, Halfling Rogue. <laughs> and she, you know, she has this sort of like tragic backstory, but always like sort of made the most of things and, and um, was like fun and, and sort of a chaos demon in some ways. And I remember, uh, and this was a moment that really stuck with me. Uh, the DM for our campaign um, had us go up against a chaos god. Um, and yeah, and it, it was like, cause we, we had leveled up, we'd been with these characters for so much time. Uh, and she, you know, was the seasoned warrior at this point. Um, but she was she was always so inquisitive and always so curious, and, and she had to know things, and she could never resist a challenge. Um, and so during the fight, and it was in, we were all in very dire straits. But the chaos demon um, like spent a couple of turns preparing this spell, you know. And we we're like, what is he doing? What is he doing? This has got to be bad for us. And at the end of it, uh, he says, and then uh, Bacanus produces a lollipop and extends it to Loli. And at that point. My DM took out this giant, like swirly lollipop <laughs> from from like under the table and handed it towards me. It's like, what does she do? And I was like, my God, man! Like this is <laughs> like I know, like we're dying. Like we could have a TPK on our hands. And I was like, Lily extends her hand and grabs the lollipop and runs retreats to the corner and unwrapping it because I just couldn't. I couldn't resist it, and it, that was one of those moments that was sort of the crossover between, you know, tabletop and role play for me. That like kind of stuck with me, and it informs a lot of the choices I make as as an actor and as a tabletop, you know, on screen tabletop player to this day. Of like, yeah. you do do you do what the character does? You make an interesting, weird choice. Like, do you bring the physicality of within the game out into the real world? It really stuck with me because it was it was something that it was like an extra layer that I was like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, God, I love that. It's fascinating and well, first of all, that's incredible. And I love what you said about big choices. That's one thing I will say that I think players, and talk with your DM, you know, but one thing I think new players especially can be very um, reserved yeah. at the table, like out of a respectful place, but like, oh, the DM's done a lot of work and I don't want to rock the boat, rock the boat or yeah, mess or up the story. M 
take big swings mm-hmm. and not only make big choices but have big reactions feel like explore the character and feel strongly i remember so so no one ever lets me play dnd i'm always dming um but <laughs> yeah. the one campaign i ever got to finish my wonderful friend molly ostertag who <gasps> You know Molly, yeah, right? You know Molly. You know Molly. She's the fucking best. Yeah. Um, Molly, uh, we we uh, have a webcomic together, Strong Female Protagonist, that she's the illustrator for and I'm the author for. And uh, uh, she ran the most incredible, beautiful, moving campaign of D&D. My character was Humza, who was this monk cleric. Uh, ha- he was half work, half elf. And he started as like a drummer for a circus. He'd been a temple dancer. He, very, very chill. And... It was this wild exploration of a character because the campaign was all about gods and we were possessed by a demon and going on this pilgrimage. And it was, to me, because I love philosophy, it was this journey of what happens to a chill, peaceful guy yeah. who who has his answer to everything has been peace and love and let's all get along and be chill when he's confronted with true injustice and true evil and realizing you can't always be chill. And it was heartbreaking to watch this this character go from like, I just love every big half work. I just love everyone. I don't want anything to being like he they found this like bugbear child that was in slavery and captivity to be raised as like a blood sport gladiator. And he was like, that's wrong. And I shouldn't. Precious. I love him. I shouldn't be relaxed right now. And it was like a powerful thing. And I remember even getting to a point in the campaign, I think the reason that he stands as like my favorite PC is that Molly made this world that was so rich and textured and there was so much to interact with. And sometimes even I think I did things that Molly didn't anticipate. Like we got to this dwarven city where the dwarves were like technological geniuses and they, they uh, my character was deeply religious. These dwarves didn't care about the gods at all and were just like making things and they were they like were dwarves so that everything was like beautiful and valuable and like, oh, this is a rare mineral. And I, we were at this dinner with all these dwarven aristocrats and again, my character's like an ascetic, faith-based character and one of the dwarves says like, where do you come from? I bet your people are strong workers. What could we do? Is there a way? And this leads that the dwarf said, I bet your people are strong workers and all this like ostentatious wealth everywhere and my character just went I do not like it here you have forgotten the gods and having this like because it was this weird thing of like I don't know it, it felt fun and powerful to be like my character's been chill for a long time and these guys aren't even bad guys but I don't like this yeah I think introspection at the table and in real life and relationships is a really important thing to have and leads to like it leads to good things yeah it really does it it was also asterisk i think i i only know molly like through twitter and stuff like i'd I'd really like to meet her though uh but yeah it's it's really interesting to explore the world as your character and and to sometimes do things that like you as a person know we are wrong, but to yeah. go against those impulses, do it as your character. Yeah. And and again, to like, like I've had characters that like over time tried to do the right thing and it was a great way of exploring morality from a different point of view. Hey man, I'm always about exploring yeah, morality. Yeah, I was about to say, like I, I really love the exploration of philosophical, you know, yeah. truth in your characters. That's really interesting. Uh, that's the I think everybody I think everybody has a 
something that will tie all of their characters together. Some sort of search for something that always ties them together. For years, it's uh, philosophy. Yeah, I, I can't get away from ethics no matter yeah. what I do. Yeah. Uh, uh, but and then and even with the evil characters of. Fine. I don't know, like, like in playing the like e lawful evil giant who, for all intents and purposes, was kind of a fascist, which in real life I oppose with every fiber right, of my being. Sure. But playing this character and being like, "Huh, this character is a violent thug who hates everybody and wants to oppress them." As a result of that, he gets into violent situations all the time, which only serves to further reinforce his wrong idea about how the world works. Like, he comes into situations with a like, his name was Gyalfi, and he was always like, these people, they're not worth it. They are, like, even like farmers, he was like, it is their place to be ground into the dirt. They either kneel or they die. And he had that attitude, so lo and behold, either people kneeled to him or were like, you're a fucking asshole. In which case he was like, see my point exactly, they forget themselves. And you go like, oh, it doesn't forgive the character, but like notice how evil reinforces its own worldview by constantly engendering the situation it says is, is unavoidable. Huh. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. Like that you, yeah, that you, in each of your characters you kind of explore a philosophy. Yeah. Eh. Trippy. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, awesome. Um, well, uh, deep philosophy, community. Yeah, it's it's funny because like, man, we, we had some talks before this too. And like we didn't even get to everything uh, about this. I cannot believe but, like, an hour has I, gone by. I can't believe it. Cause like we, we went over to like those five points and like some questions and everything, but we, we didn't even get to talk about Oh, the fact that we both have like dated a bunch of people that we <laughs> played tabletop games with. Well, we'll see you next time. Bye guys. <laughs> Thanks so Adventuring Academy. Bye. This has been a Dropout Podcast. For video of today's show, plus more exclusive series, go to dropout.tv. 